All right, welcome to episode 16. We're up to 16 of this Action RC podcast series. You know the drill. We're thinking back over RC racing in Australia, mostly in the 80s and 90s, sometimes a bit more recently. We're talking about favourite races, tracks, cars, funny stories. In this episode, we're back in Victoria for a conversation with a guy who just moments ago described himself uh, to me as one of the, the eldest statesmen of RC in Australia, one of the real characters. I don't know which descriptors to use, racer, innovator, journalist, character, uh, a man who knew how to drive and knows how to drive, but more than that, how to enjoy RC for all that it is worth and all that he's worth. A guy who steered Dirt and Track magazine through a couple of different stints, has been at the heart of all sorts of new racing classes over the years, and we'll talk about some of those. I'm delighted uh, to chat today with the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Tony Gray. Tony, thank you for taking some time uh, to join ah. me for a bit of a chat. Thanks, Scotty. Uh, gee, uh, episode 16, it took you 15 to run out of um, <laughs> people who were actually useful. And now you've sunk down to the point where you're even prepared to talk to me. <laughs> That's right. People so, keep saying, uh, too many people yeah. have said no to me and I'm, you know, just got to keep it going until I get to 20 episodes. So, Yeah, and then you'll feel like you've achieved something. <laughs> That's right. Well, uh, in... I suppose in terms of longevity, I've probably achieved something there, and that I'm. Yeah, when did still you get built. started? When did you kind of kick off your this hobby? I uh, sat there and thought about that this morning, and uh, realised that I started doing this when I left the job that I had at the time, which was working at Ken Morgan Toyota. Ken Morgan was a guy that used to be on the Hey Hey at Saturday, giving away. Yeah, crawlers okay. and that and I worked for Ken for quite a few years yeah just doing crap on cars and I left there to go to work at Ford yeah. at Ford Motor Company in the design yeah. section and I was owed a few weeks holiday pay and such so at lunchtime on my last day I went across the road to the local hobby shop because nice. I'd been looking at toy cars for a while <laughs> you'd been looking and across I, the road at lunchtime and i knew the hot shot had just come out and i went yeah i'll okay. have one of those so yeah. i came back at lunchtime with a brand new hot shot a sanyo sc 1200 battery pack <laughs> i know the one and a set of charge leads oh yes which is probably something that a lot of people listening <laughs> won't even know about and they were dangerous they were did they you were ever set weird. fire to anything with your charge leads no uh unlike les bone who set his volvo and his garage yes. on fire yeah. as a lot of us will mend i yeah. do remember asking the guy how do i know when the battery's charging should i never charge it for more than 20 minutes <laughs> ah, okay is that it he said yeah that's fine i suppose that was for a 1200 pack that was probably about right but he yeah, said about right he said, you, he, said the, he did at least say the leads will get warm. Yeah. And he said, if you feel your battery getting to the point where it's really warm, disconnect it. Yeah. So, so for those who don't know, you know, who may be listening to this going, what is a charge? Like it literally is just a piece of wire, isn't it? A wire with yeah, some resistance, resistance in it. Resistance, yeah. And you hook so, it up to your battery and, you, you know, there's no timer. There's no peak detection. There's none of that kind of fancy stuff. It's just, uh, yeah. Yeah. We had a battery hooked up to charge leads, charging in the front seat of our 
I think it was a Nissan Irvan, like our, our family wagon, which we totally Ooh. forgot about. Came back an hour later to this melted plastic puddle of battery and somehow didn't yes. set fire to the car. I don't know how. Uh, but I reckon everyone's got a story a bit like that. Uh, that used to oh, that's back in the very day. much the way. They were horrible things. I remember yeah. thinking I was like up in the upper echelons once I got a clockwork timer one <laughs> about six months later. So <laughs> hotshot places you, what's that? That's around 85. 85, yeah. 85 and uh, I was 25 years old there. Okay, well, we'll let, it, we'll let our listeners do the maths on that. Um, and where yeah. were you? Like you were in Victoria then? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you... I, look, I was working at the, at the Toyota joint in Nunawading, yep. but I lived in, um, he says, thinking, uh, no, it would have been back then. I would have lived in Nidri, which is about five minutes from the Keela off-road track. Okay. And I was aware that there wasn't a track there when I first got my car. Okay. But I was aware that there was a club and I was aware that they had just started running at the Avondale Heights Scout Hall on Wednesday nights. Okay. And they were, it was just indoor stuff and sort of a basic kidney shape sort of thing. And yep. Yep. Even before I got the car, I'd been there a couple of times. They'd literally only just started. Yeah. Okay. And that's, I went down there. I, even once I got the car running, I, I never actually raced on Wednesday nights because yep. I then, once I got the job at Ford, I was working at Ford Geelong. So that was an hour's drive for me and they didn't yeah. finish till 11 at night. So I used to get up at 4.30 because I started at 6. Not so good for no. the midweek race, race nights. No, but I'd gone along to that and I thought, oh, that was good. And yeah. then it was only luckily a matter of a month or two after I got my car yeah. that they started, that the off-road track opened and I was okay. there at the very first meeting Okay. For the Keeler Off-Road Club track. And yep. that may well have been the, the, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was the first off-road club that ran in, in Melbourne. In Victoria. In Victoria. I yeah, won so we my talked first last... race and I've never won one since. You won your first race? Oh, I won my nice. first race and I'm thinking, how good is this? <laughs> and I think I've won about two since. So I'm just thinking about the timing because we chatted last episode with Chris Marshall who talked about Knox getting started, um, yeah, probably a year or two after that. Or a year or two after yeah. us. Yeah. Yep. So, so, so what was it like to be a part of that, you know, that club at Keylor as it started from the very beginning? I mean, was it, was it, it was, was there a kind of a buzz around the place? Were there a million oh, hot was, shots and kids was, everywhere? And... Well, uh, at the risk of getting Darren Johnson too excited, there was AYKs <laughs> everywhere. Every second person had an AYK because that's yeah. what um, Peter Orchard, who was the main man behind the club okay. and ran Orchard's hobbies. Ah, yes, he, gotcha. Pete ran AYKs and yeah. Charlie Valor, who worked for him, yeah. ran an AYK Viper in four-wheel drive. So Pete would run a Bobcat or a Buffalo. It was the same chassis, just yeah, a different yeah. uh, body. Yeah. Yeah. And Charlie would run a Viper, but, and most people tended to follow what Pete yeah. ran. So there was AYKs everywhere. All uh, over the shop. But there were a lot of hot shots because they just started yeah. coming out. And that yeah. was really, and it was, it was an amazing time to be there. The very first meeting, the, the driver's stand was a, um, a tandem trailer that Pete pulled there on the back of his old Ford mainline ute. And that's what we used for the first <laughs> few meetings. 
and there's still someone uh peter brady was at that first meeting too and he is still racing now yeah so there's at least one of us left from uh, <laughs> back then um although I, I hesitate to say that most of the dates and stuff i might give during uh, tonight um, right. uh, could well be a work of fiction because i'm not that good at the best of times but that's, it was uh, that's all. you could there was a massive vibe around racing and everyone yeah. was so keen to do it. Yeah. And you, it was every fortnight. We wanted it to be every week. It was, yes. Yeah, it was so good. And more and yeah. more people were coming along. And I think in the second or third year, I took over as, as race director for two years. Okay. And we, this was a time when lap timing was done with two of the, mums of the guys that race sitting in the thing the cars had antennas with colored flags on them yeah yeah and the ladies would be pushing a little counter yeah little sheep counters yeah yeah they were doing that and certainly for the first year i think it was five minutes stop and you just stopped the car we did it like that yeah but then after a couple of years we got a uh, Len Abbey, who was running it, everything got a uh, special um, little timer thing that he could click each time and for each car as they came over. And that was luckily that was in when I was race director. Okay. And we we'd have like something like fourteen heats, and each one would be full. Yeah. And I had to try and work out the finals and everything from that. It was. I'm thinking back now, I, I couldn't do it <laughs> no matter how much money you gave me because it was just, I'm, I'm not the world's best mathematician. But you got it done and I didn't care because it mm. meant I was part of the racing. The fact that there yeah, were like yeah. 140 entries at a club meeting. Yeah. That's just yeah, our club in, The club we were at in Brisbane was much the same. In fact, they closed membership for a while because there were just too many people. Um, yeah. So, who, Tony, who are some of the, the kind of people, you know, that you've mentioned a couple already, but are there some other kind of people in those formative years at Keylor that, you know, are worth um, uh, just kind of mentioning on the way past? Well, you know, I will mention Peter Rogers again. Unfortunately, yep. he passed away quite a few years okay. ago. Uh, yep. He was very much the driving force of the club. And, uh, yep. Yep. I mean, people say he had a vested interest because he had a hobby shop, but... That wasn't the case. He just yeah, loved it. He, he loved really, it. really enjoyed yeah. it. Um, yeah. And he had a, a massive um, amount, battle every race meeting with Tony Lauder, who was, but it was always fun. And yeah, yeah. Uh, the, uh, I remember, remember the club trophy giving one time, they, they gave one of them a, a model sheep station. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought it was just great. It was really, really good. And they took it all in good fun. And yeah. It was, it was all fantastic. There were guys like that. And then one day I do remember is when um, Rob Bishop turned up. Uh, we knew of Rob because I think he might have run at Knox. And he turned up with the first RC10 that we'd seen. Okay. Um, and absolutely just killed everybody. It was... Uh. We'd heard about them, just thought, oh, yeah. yeah Can't be up. any better than an AYK. AYK. <laughs> no, and it's just like, oh. And like within two weeks, every single person had an RC10. Yeah. yeah. It was just, I can remember like it was yesterday. We just couldn't yeah. believe. And I will admit, um, I just went, yep, I'm getting one of them. <laughs> <laughs> they were a phenomenal car with that. And, and such a big step compared to 
any other two-wheel drive of the time, and even most of the four-wheel drives, really. But an extraordinary car that, you know, really dominated around the world, but certainly around Australia. Um, oh, they were, for years. It, it was absolutely a benchmark. And uh, yeah. I've got one of the RC10 World re-releases. I bought one of them as soon as it came yeah. out. And as soon as I drove it, I went, yeah, this just yeah. feels like, like yeah. I used to. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just a, a brilliant piece of work from Team Associated. And, I, you know, I've argued a couple of times that it's probably the most iconic RC buggy of all time from a racing perspective anyway um you know you might there's others we talk about from a hobbyist perspective but as far as race cars go that uh that's pretty significant um I don't think there's any question on it yeah yeah so give us a little bit of a tour then over the next the next kind of few years you know for you and victoria and you know what's happening around the place and what's your own racing it was like um it was it was all go back then and i'm sure it was for you to the um I distinctly remember the uh, the Orca Club Shield rounds, which were happening all over the place. I remember, yeah, yeah I was the one that was picking them, and I couldn't even get myself in the team <laughs> because it was so strong. You'd have yeah. so many people that wanted to get in, and that was, to me, was probably some of the best fun of all. Yeah. Doing the uh, the inter club rounds because there was probably ten clubs. Yeah. in Victoria at the time. So every couple of months there'd be a shield round and you'd go you'd go to Geelong, you'd go to Hamilton, you'd go to Bendigo, you just go yeah. all round Victoria and it was uh, just such a great experience. Yeah. You'd go and stay at the hotel, you'd sit around, you'd talk rubbish and I know Andy Abbott talked about <laughs> this one. <laughs> so that was it was magic fun. It was something yeah. that I, I'm really glad that I did very much the, uh, the male bonding thing. Yeah. Yeah. How, how much of, how much was there really a sense of um, team, you know, in the sense, like I see such an individual sport in many ways, you know, you have a picker or whatever, but mostly it's, it's, you know, me against you against someone else. Was there a real sense of team as you went as a club or, you know, uh, what was that vibe like? Yeah. God, no, it was. It was very much a, some of them. The um, the Melton Club, led by Les Bone, were um, really known for that. They'd get a whole group of them on the side, and they'd all be yelling at Melton, Melton, <laughs> and they didn't have too many people that were really good, but they didn't care. Yeah, that wasn't the whole. That wasn't what they were about. It was that was a fantastic vibe in, yeah. in that respect. They were really, really good. It was. The whole Orca Shield thing was very, very friendly, and yeah. it was competitive but friendly. You get the odd person who who cracked the shits. Yeah. I'll just say the name Eddie Hollinger, and I'll leave that, and <laughs> Lou Sol will be laughing now. <laughs> He'll know what I mean. Yeah, some people used to get a bit upset and get a bit serious. Come on, but Tony, you can't be just dropping bombs like that and walking away. No, no, it's good. <laughs> no, no, I can't. No, I'm I can't. not going to ask for any more details. It's it's best we oh, don't I go can there. tell you now that Eddie would be the first to go. Oh, yep, that would be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it there's... was. It was a really, really yeah. good time, and I, yeah, I will never have that again. But I, I, yeah. I don't mind. I was really happy just to be part of it back then yeah. and just racing all yeah. the time. I was. Well, let's be frank. I was never great, and yeah, I never. Okay. And I, I realised early on that that I was never going to be a great driver. I'm exceptionally mediocre. <laughs> I've had 
the odd A final appearance at nationals yeah. and stuff, but uh, uh, more by uh, good luck than anything I did, else. Uh, I did. I did scour some magazines looking for some Tony Gray results, and I found oh, I should have written it down now. But there was a there was a five forty class podium at a might have been an Orca Shield or a. Some oh, sort of yeah, some sort of race meeting in Victoria. Oh, Five forty. There you oh. go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did a bit better at on road. I got into a national A final yeah. uh, pro ten. Yeah, probably because I had the only Corelli at the time, and that was yeah. it was like so much better than anyone else's. Yeah, yeah. But I still only got in ninth or something. And Quite I know Barry Putty tried to pinch it off me because he wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like Barry. <laughs> Um, no. <laughs> so this raises for me a question, which I mean, I was going to probably come to a bit later, but but I'll let's explore it a little bit because for as long as I've known you or known of you, like there is this there's this thing around that you that you and the guys you hang around with just have a great time, like you just enjoy yourselves and you love you love racing for the fun of it and you know all of that and and there are other people who you know, are hyper-competitive and don't ever seem to quite enjoy it as much, but, you know, they're really focused on that very serious end of of the spectrum, if you like. Like, is that, I mean, is that kind of just love and good times always been the thing for that, you? That's very, from the very beginning? much the case. All, yeah. it's the social aspect of it that, that's yeah. far more important to me. Uh, yeah. Some people might suggest that's because, yeah, but that's because you're a crap driver. You just, <laughs> so you just say, that, oh, you're just there socially. But uh, most of the guys that, that have known me for years will know well, yeah. that's what I'm about. I, I'm there to sit around and talk shit with my mates. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, what it all yeah. comes down to. And half yeah. the time I'll miss my race or something and I, yeah. and I don't care. It's about being there, taking the piss out of each other, yeah. that sort of thing, and that's that's what, and that's still the same now. Yeah, which that's very much what I'm about, and I, yeah, nice. you know, we can have a giggle. That's it for me. <laughs> I'm very happy with that. Uh, I there, there have been very few occasions when I've um, taken the racing or seriously. Uh, yeah. Like I said, I don't really have the skills. Uh, yeah, I was pretty good at mini when we first started doing that because they only we were only running the sport tunes. Yeah, so they weren't incredibly quick. Yeah, and the driving style required you basically not to use the brakes and keep the corner <laughs> speed up, which is good because after all these years, I still don't use the brakes. <laughs> Never figured so I that do, out. I, I, yeah, I just get it wrong, so I just. That's what I thought. I'm not going to change my driving style now. It'll be fine. We'll come back yeah. to Mini because I want to dig into that a little bit more. Yeah, bit I thought you were right. So, um, I mean, the first time I recall your name was in association with the very much loved Dirt and Track magazine. But uh, so, how do you go from, how'd you get involved in that? And how do you go from, you know, racing with your mates on the weekends, getting involved at Keylor to, to being involved in, in that? Um, that magazine, which ran for quite a few years in Australia, where did that where did that come about for you? D and T started in nineteen eighty seven, so yep. it was only a couple of years after that I'd I'd begun. Yeah. Um, its initial uh, appearance was as part of Airborne magazine. There was always oh, okay. just there was two or three pages in each yep. issue of Airborne. There was, yeah. That, that was called 
bull bar. Yes, that's right. It's all written, coming back to me. Yeah. Written by Jack Greninger. Yeah. So uh, who a lot of people will obviously yeah. know. Yeah. So Jack had an interesting writing style. <laughs> I would have to suggest it wasn't his... Um, <laughs> Wasn't his Perhaps first laugh? Forte. Yeah. No, Fair no, enough. it probably wasn't. But I, you know, back then I didn't care. It's only yeah. now that I look at him and go, oh, "That's interesting the way Jack writes." But that's with the benefit of thirty years of knowledge now. But at the time, I didn't care. I was like you. All I wanted to do was, "Oh, there's a magazine out. It's yeah. got toy cars in it." Yeah. And it had info, and that that's yeah. how they started. And um, John Rogers was the guy that that. Um, owned airborne magazine he used to have a, um, a hobby shop rogers power models and it got burgled and then burnt down oh, wow. so he didn't have a, so he didn't have a hobby shop he didn't have a hobby shop anymore and yeah. uh, merv buckmaster owned airborne at the time and merv was looking at getting out of it so um okay. john bought in yeah john was a family friend so i'd um, i'd known him for a long before that yeah but I didn't know that he'd uh, he bought the magazine, and uh, it may have been at uh, eighty-seven nationals, which, which was the ones held in Victoria, and that was yep. held at the exhibition buildings. Yes, uh, they trucked in a whole whole load of dirt. Uh, Les Bone worked for Podgore Constructions, and he somehow managed to wangle. Um, some diggers and stuff and bought in this dirt and we built a track in the exhibition buildings at Melbourne. And I still can't believe we did it. Yeah. It's amazing. And, uh, yeah, that was just such a cool thing. And I've vivid memories of it now. And, yeah. um, uh, so be, just before we leave that, then, it's, that's yeah. not a race meeting we've really talked about before on this, on this podcast. Okay. So I'd be, I'm just interested in any other recollections you have around that event. And then we'll just give a couple of results here. Cause it's, um, it's just not a race meeting that I've had the chance to talk to anyone else who was even no, at it. I, no, there were there was a lot of people there. Yeah, uh, and I, I can picture it now. The the track was big. Uh, yeah, as with most of the tracks back then, the jumps weren't huge like they are no, now. That's right. It was very very different, and they built it in a um, couple of days. They had wooden supports all around the outside, and they just right. drove the big tip trucks in and just dumped the dirt just, there and. <laughs> <laughs> Les Bone was just <laughs> working out how to do it and telling them all and everything. And even though it wasn't prepped the way that we would prep tracks now, it was from memory, the, the grip was really good. It was fairly yeah. soft soil, but, but when it was packed, it had a lot of grip. And it was just a fantastic venue, yeah. really good. And there were people three or four deep all the way around it all weekend. It was part of something else that was on that weekend. I think it was the honest, motor like, show, wasn't it? The Melbourne motor show. It may have been the motor show, yeah. but I can't even remember the fact that I didn't even go out and look. And, <laughs> and, and you're I'm a car, car guy, guy, right? So I'm a car yeah. guy and I didn't go and look. And, and it was my, that was my first really big race meeting. And yeah. I remember just being overawed. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I remember spending about two weeks beforehand painting my car because I wanted to win concourse. <laughs> we'll probably get back to that later. And did too. you? So, did you win concourse? Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> that was my first national concourse. And I've still got the body cell somewhere. somewhere. So, so th- let me just run through a couple of the results from that. So we're talking 1987 nationals uh, yeah. hosted in Melbourne. David Conroy uh, takes the unlimited class, uh, driving mm-hmm. the Shoemaker Cat, Andrew Reid 
who we did speak to on this podcast a few episodes back, yep. uh, is in second. And Craig Bowring, one of the genuinely oh, fast legends, all on the podium. Uh, international, that seven cell class seven goes cell. the way of Mike Farnham with the Mugen Bulldog. Uh, Morris Ah uh, Morris Ahmada. Yeah, Some not trailer. a name I've come across before. Brian Sortel. Uh, where else have we got? Senior stock. Oh, no, two order of stock, Jason Fort and four of or junior stock, Michael Geddes, a name that would become very well known. Yeah. So yeah, some some big names and just to kind of notice those results um, yeah. on the way through. Um, mate, I've distracted you there because yeah. we were talking that, really about the, the origins of Dirt and Track. Dirt and, track. and yeah. at that meeting, um, I got photographed with my Concours car. You know, here we go, blah, yep. blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, Paul Bird was the ed- the first editor of Dirt and Track. Okay. Paul was a legit journalist, although mainly <laughs> um, mainly radio and a little bit of TV. But yeah. John Rogers had somehow uh, schemed him into doing this because I think he was in he was involved in in RC cars anyway, and I think okay. it, that just sort of happened. I don't yeah. fully know the story of how that happened, but anyway, Paul t- took a couple of photos of my car and everything, and he was talking, saying, "Oh, yeah, there's me. We're doing a magazine, but." Blah blah blah. And oh yeah, I didn't know all that. And he said, "John Rogers." Said, "John Rogers, married to Yvonne." Said, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, I, so I, I actually, I think I spoke to John a couple of days after that. And went, you do a magazine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing a whole, whole one just for um, just for cars now. Oh, yeah. I might have to get in on that. So I actually started writing stuff very, very early. Yeah, uh, okay. Just the odd one. Now and then, not to, not too much. So, I, and it didn't always have my name on it. Okay. Uh, in fact, um, we're, we're now going to unleash the uh, the dirt and track secret. <laughs> All right, in everyone, the, buckle up. If you're not sitting down, sit down. Here we go. This is probably this is probably not earth shattering, oh, but okay. <laughs> no, but. The name that was on the article didn't necessarily reflect the person that did it, particularly okay. during my tenure, yep. because I'd end up writing 90% of the stuff <laughs> and we didn't want my name on it on every single article. Okay. Um, so we'd make up names and... Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> there was a few articles written by Raymond Poulton. <laughs> Raymond Poulton was... Jeff watched Wheel of Fortune, and at the end of the show, it'd say, Adriana's shoes were supplied by Raymond Poulton. <laughs> that, just, is, um, uh, that is brilliant. Uh, so I just pick names out of it. Sometimes I use my mate's names, or sometimes yeah. John, John would make up a name himself. Uh, yeah, yeah. Nice. There was a. <laughs> that's, so, you know. Sometimes there were reasons for not wanting your name on it. If you think that's oh, a crap article, I don't want my name on that, or I'll get sued for that. But, um, but that's how I started with with D and T. Yeah, Paul did it for quite a few years. Yeah, and if you go through the first issues, that there's a it's like a who's who of people in RC initially. Uh, yeah, still Jack Greninger, John Grant, uh, yep. Stuart's wow. dad, yep. John Bowring. You know, Rockstar, yeah. that that was the sort of people that were writing that only happened for the first year or two and then it just sort of um they all went away and there were other people okay. that were that were doing it there was only there was one other magazine at the time because this was way before smithy had started yes um there was a 
magazine out of Adelaide called Australian Car Modeler. And that okay. used to have, it was mainly static stuff. Yeah. But that used to, he used to do the same thing. He had a little bit of RC. Yeah. And then only a few months after Dirt and Track started, uh, Murray Scott, was, who was the guy that, that did it, uh, he started his own RC mag called Model Autosport. Oh. So, I don't know if I remember that one. There you no. go. Okay. I mean, I could grab a copy from behind me and show it to you, but that's not going to make really good podcast material. That's, that's right. Wow, it's a great looking cover. Fantastic. Yeah, that only um, it only lasted a couple of years. I don't think okay. uh, Murray was yeah. all that into it, but it, it still had some some good stuff in it. Um, yeah, Tony Stott used to do a lot of stuff for Murray. Tony's yeah. a great guy. He ended up doing some for Dirt and Track as well. So, so how long did was, Dirt and Track run for it? So it started there in '87. Was it, was I was trying to think of that today. Yeah. I'm going to say that it probably finished eight to ten years ago. Uh, I'd reckon 2010, 2011, maybe. Dirt and track, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It, it ended suddenly. Okay. Suddenly to the point where I didn't actually know it had finished. Yeah. Uh, no one's for that matter. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. It. I didn't know I'd uh, I'd written material for the yeah. the uh, for that episode episode no for that issue. <laughs> Let's go with issue. Yeah, we'll go with issue and yeah. um, done all the photography and written it all and submitted yeah. it, and it just never came out. Yeah, okay. Uh, and that was the end of that. John wasn't one to waste time with stuff like that. He just <laughs> he didn't announce it or anything. Yeah. I mean, I know why. I mean. He, Airborne yeah. magazine finished about three or four years ago and yeah. he pulled that simply because everything's changed and the yeah. magazine thing. Yeah. When like, what most people don't realise is the sales at the news agent don't mean nothing. Yeah. It's the advertising that keeps the magazine going. Yeah. Without advertising magazines can't go. Yeah. And um, there were less and less bricks and mortar hobby shops because of the internet and yeah. We're all guilty of yeah. going down that road. Yeah. And if it's not viable anymore, there's yeah. no point doing it. Plus the easy access to information through the internet. That's right. Which was just starting yeah. back then. And, uh, yeah. So <laughs> that was it. It was the end of that. And that yeah, was the, yeah. end of, uh, the end of all the free cars too. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, oh, yes. That was one of the delights of working for a magazine, wasn't it? Uh, well, I don't know what was, I don't know what it was like for Smithy, but um, <laughs> John never paid. Yeah, I never got paid anything, but oh, it worked out. And yeah, but you got enough free cars this issue, <laughs> which is true. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that's how I got paid. And back when I was, there was a time when I was um, uh, re- importing and retailing stuff too. So I'd get okay. usually a free. I'd usually get a full page ad for the for the business yeah, yeah. as well. So. Yeah. It's sort of all, I'm not really complaining, it all worked out no, in the no. wash. And, it just is what it is. I do remember at some stage going into the house and counting that I had 130 cars and thinking, this is probably too many. <laughs> uh, I have, I, maybe I have a problem here. <laughs> well, most of them were free though, so it wasn't yeah, too yeah. bad. That's right. Yeah. Uh, that was, and I w- uh, confession number two, oh, it was the odd okay. occasion when the car uh, pictured in the action shots was actually static because I'm really good at Photoshop. 
because it was much easier to sell the car if it hadn't been run. <laughs> so, uh, wow, we're really letting people peek behind the curtains of the uh, kind of RC media of the of the 80s and 90s oh, here. It didn't happen too often because uh, it's not easy no. to pull off. Yeah. Uh, yeah and yeah. and look, uh, but I, John doesn't know about that to this day. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, my, my, my approach was to take a thousand photos and just hope that, you know, a couple of them turned out all right. Uh, but that's in the days of digital, uh, digital cameras. Uh, yeah. I was I doing didn't, car reviews. So. Yeah. I didn't have the, um, that's so I was scanning them and, uh, yeah. and then, then with an early version of Photoshop. Uh, so <laughs> was, I'm going to have to find some old copies of Dirt and Track now and go looking and see, see if I could pick some of these I, photos. I, now, I thought you might say that because I went and looked at some, some that I knew that I'd photoshopped and I thought, actually, that's pretty good. I can't pick it's it. pretty good. Yeah. Very nice. So, I, I have a, uh, you know, a garage full of Racing Lines magazines, a, a yeah. magazine that I worked for for quite a few years, but somehow my, my collection actually has no copies of Dirt and Track in it. I just, I never... I had them all, but yeah, kind of just disappeared over the years. So, uh, Tony, what what do you when you look back over that and you look at you know Dirt Track magazine as an example? What what do you think that or see those magazines actually contributed you know to the hobby, to the sport, to the industry? How important were they um, in, those, the, in those days? The promotional value was inestimable. I mean, what if you had to put a car on the front cover? Yeah, that car was going to sell. Yeah, okay. Because people would go, oh, I want that. Because I know that because I'm sure you were the same. We'd look at uh, copies of RC Car Action from the States. Yeah. And whatever was on the cover, invariably yeah. you wanted one. Yeah. And I think that's very much what happened. We had we had some really good people writing tech articles, but just, uh, in a lot of cases they were too technical and yeah. people didn't get it. Yeah. Uh, so the tech articles that I wrote were – much simpler in nature yeah. yeah so people could understand them and so that i could understand them because <laughs> i'm pretty much simpler in nature myself so and i tried to avoid the bullshit yeah. when it came to tech articles so the same as what we did with rc mini later on which we'll get yeah, into yeah, later. We'll get to. Uh, yeah yeah uh it was and i know that so many people were like you and i even my mates we're still waiting for every issue to come out. Yeah. Because it was, oh, even though TFG's written about five articles and this, they'll be crap. But <laughs> they still enjoyed reading it. Yeah. And it, it's disappointing now that there's, there's hardly anything. Yeah. I think, no, it, it, you know, even the, uh, I, you can certainly get all the information that you might, that you could possibly ever want uh, at our fingertips, isn't it? But I do, I do miss the kind of long form, you know, the story, you know, someone writing a story and crafting a story about yeah. an event or about a car or, you know, about whatever it is or, or opinion columns or those kinds of things that were always the parts of the magazines that I appreciated. And while the information is at our fingertips, the story is um, not told in that way uh, these days. Um, it yeah, certainly it sharpened up my uh, my journalism skills a lot, which was great for when RC Mini started because it meant that uh, I was able to just bang out some content for the website and yeah. that was very, very simple. But so, it was also so good. 
I was just going to say, let's go yeah. there, but just finish that story. Yeah, I mean, you know, oh, yeah. The, the, only other, the, the other thing that I think did help was that John was very supportive if I wanted to uh, try and do something a bit different in terms of, of events. Yeah, okay. As promotion things. We did a few things. The um, the photo that you've got of me, which no doubt you'll use as the headshot of, of the, yeah. the Dirt and Track Formula One Challenge Cup. Unfortunately, we can only do all these things in Victoria. But yeah, and John was happy to support it, provided it didn't cost him any money. <laughs> <laughs> and the F One Challenge Cup was—I was just trying to get F One going here in Victoria. So, when, so that, when would that have been? Yeah, uh, I'm going to say it would have been the early nineties. Okay, so oh, that is the very beginning well, of F One, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think you know, to me, are F One O Twos and Coyotes yeah, yeah, yeah. and that, yeah. and I could thought, you know, these are good. So we, I think it was like a, a four club series and it was quite well supported and, and yeah. it, it got things going for a while, but then as now F1s are difficult to drive Yeah, and people get frustrated with them. And, uh, yeah. but you know, at least we got it going. We did quite a few things and a lot of people enjoyed it. We did that. I tried to do a, a nitro gas truck thing okay. a few years after that. We called the nitro attack just a one-off thing at Keeler and yeah. we got like five people. Yeah. So I guessed wrong on that one. <laughs> uh, I thought it was worth a go because I thought, oh, this could be the next big thing. This could be. And the Keeler club were reluctant at first because, they, yeah. oh, we don't gas trucks. Look, they're not overly powerful because they weren't then. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it didn't go. Yeah. And the other one we did was right out of left field was one I called Terminal Velocity. And we, uh, I got the, a fire running track at Werribee, which where the fire guys do their practice with the running along with their carts and the hoses and everything. Yep. So it's yep. big, big, long stretch of really nice asphalt with a control tower and everything. So it was basically, nice. uh, you know, one person at a time yep. going off, bang, how fast can you go? And that was... Um, that was a, quite a success, and there were some really, really fast cars. We had a, um, we had a, a big radar that my mate Tim had bought that uh, we used to detect the speed, and it had a massive display that was, oh, I don't know, probably 250 mil, so everyone could see it. Yeah. And that was really good. It was something different. I yeah, nice. loved doing shit like that. It was, yeah. I wish I'd had video or anything but this is, this is before <laughs> oh, mobile right. phones before mobile phones yeah i do recall uh i do recall some of the stories around that event and photos of cars with cells upon cells upon cells to you know to yeah. kind of try and extract that that straight line performance out of uh out of a car but yeah well, that, you, you seem to have this kind of knack of um you know spotting you talked about gas truck being one where you missed it, yeah. but of you know spotting yeah. or starting or you know where does that like is that just you and your mate sitting around kind of you know having a few beers going oh let's go race Formula One or where does that where does that mindset come from for you that says yeah let's get Formula One let's do velodrome let's do mini let's do terminal velocity like there's this I'm, your I'm history is full of that I'm not interested in um, in doing the same thing that everyone else is doing um, okay. I can't remember the last time I I drove a, a four wheel drive touring car. Yeah. It just doesn't interest me. Um, that's fine because everyone else is going to do that. Or that. Yeah. You, you mentioned Velodrome mm. there. That's probably my favourite one. Um, that would have happened 
89, I would think, yeah. was the first one. Yeah. And I remember, like it was yesterday, I was driving down the Calder Highway towards the city, and I was driving past Calder Park Thunderdome. Yeah. Which you know, was the only oval yeah. track here in, yeah. in Australia. That's right. And I looked at it and thought, oh, man, something like that in one ten scale would just be awesome. <laughs> and I'm driving down further and further, and I went, I know what might work, and I know where there is one. So I, I diverted, and I went down Hoffman's Road in Idri, and I grabbed Peter Orchard from his shop. Yep. Said, you need to come with me now, with bring me. your car, that's right, that's right. put a, put a Reedy Gold Star in, which is 14 double, Four, I, think. I think. so. I think 14 that double, that's what came to mind for me. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that was the fact. I said, and, before, and put a big-ass pinion on it. He was, wrong with you? Just do it. <laughs> All right, just do it. Do as you're <laughs> he told. Jumped, he jumped in my, my, yeah, he jumped in my car and we went to Coburg Velodrome. I had no idea whether we'd be able to get in or anything. But yeah. being in Coburg, which is not a salubrious suburb, there were, of course, holes cut in the fence by the uh, local lads. <laughs> and we walked in and Pete said, I know what you're thinking. I said, yeah. <laughs> we made the classic mistake of getting in the centre at first and Pete yeah. just about fell over after two laps. Yeah. But he just said, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I think it was only about two or three months later when we actually ran the first meeting there it took me a while to find out who ran it yeah, and we certainly for those first few years when we did it uh it was a saturday night thing because it had full lighting oh nice and and we were getting 70 to 80 people there and it was wow it okay. was just the start and it was yeah i just wish i had some figures of what the speeds were doing because Everyone yeah. seems to make stuff up that turns them out to be quicker than what <laughs> what the cars are now. Oh, easily so 180 kilometres an hour. Yeah, that's right. I remember, it, but uh, certainly one of the um, biggest proponents of it was Jeff and Reese Bertles. Yes, like, Jeff loved it. He yeah. lo he built cars specifically yeah. for the velodrome. He he really really liked it. Super low RC10s with a Palmer yeah. Eagle body and yeah, stiff suspension and everything. Reese loved it too. It was yeah. It was really good. That was some of the best times ever. And actually the best time of all was when you'd, you'd get a chant going up and the guys would be going, wall, wall, wall. And someone would go up, right up the side, onto the chain link, and they'd bring it back down again. I think uh, the telling uh, yes. thing for that is I've tried to get it going a few more times yeah. since in the last you know 10 or 15 years, but people are a lot more precious about their cars and they're worried about, um, yeah, uh, they're worried about destroying their cars. And the, so it's never really caught on again. Yeah. So it, it's, uh, and it's popped up it, in different parts of the country. I, I didn't. It has popped up in different parts of the country from time to time, but I don't reckon it's ever caught anywhere as much as it did in, in, uh, Victoria. Um, and that's maybe, you know, that there no, was a bunch it, of you really it, investing it, in it. And I, I, I don't know of it happening anywhere else in the world before we did it. Yeah. It may well have, but I, I didn't see anything. So uh, that it'd be nice if we were first, but I'm not really fussed about it either. Uh, yeah. A telling thing for me was um, probably the one of the last bigger ones we had was uh, uh, Jason Baguana, the the touring car driver. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah. as a mate of mine and he yeah. used to race minis with us and we talk him into coming along to to velodrome and running mini uh, we used to run uh, 16 triple Oz charge motors <laughs> in the minis uh direct from baz and they were stupidly fast and he's, <laughs> I, we went out there for the first time and he he came back in and he was shaking. He said, don't, this is just awesome. This is so awesome. I'm thinking, you've won Bathurst and you're getting excited That's about right. driving an MO3 around the, around the velodrome. I, I have like. to say to you, Tony, that I've never imagined a Mini as a velodrome car, but there you go. Now that picture's in my mind. Uh, um, Front-wheel drive cars are really easy around the velodrome. Yeah, okay. They just because they pull themselves around. I was able yep. to drive my Yakomo YRF2, the uh, yep. super special front wheel drive thing, with just one hand. Wow. Because you, okay. you didn't need to steer much. Super stable. Yeah, front wheel drive was great. Really. Presumably, really aero is a, a pretty big deal as well. You know, you'd be getting up to some yeah. pretty serious yeah. speeds where aero actually would make a difference. Um, yeah, it does. Uh, the minis we were having to cut out the um, the whole back of the car. You'd have to put a wing on it, a big ass yep. off road wing, or yep. the thing just wouldn't hang on. And yep. foam tires because the rubber tires would explode. Yeah, they would literally explode. So yeah, not up to the job. Velodrome was great. Uh, we still go there occasionally. The cycling club are, are happy to let us go. So yeah, yeah, it's nice. it, it was really good. I'm, I'm glad that I, I had a, a part in doing that it'll be nice to have it again but oh, i don't think it'll happen that's all right perhaps not. that's okay so we keep mentioning mini uh we, they keep popping yeah. up all over the place and you are certainly famed along with you know a, a bunch of mates uh for this kind of getting mini racing going and organized and mm. uh, you know websites and all sorts of things so where, where does that all where's that all kick off tony what, what's the mini what's the rc mini story the mini, and, and the uh, mini thing started yeah because uh, I quit my first stint of dirt and track yep. uh, in about let me see, probably 94 okay. um, because I, I wasn't mentally in a good uh, state at that okay. time. I'll be honest about that. I was, yep, yep. was going through a divorce and like most people, you yep. be pretty hard. It, it mucks you all up. So I, yeah. I pulled out of dirt and track and I uh, pulled it out of racing as well. I just said, okay, that's it. Yeah. That was a really dumb thing to do because the last thing you want to do is pull out of doing the things you want, but yeah, that's what yeah. I did. And then um, in 1996, my mate Tim Keeler, who yes. all the mini people will, will know very well, very much my uh, my cohort in terms with in RC Mini, along with Tony yep, Pereira, yep. who I passed, also mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tim got together with Darren Wilson, another mate from work, and they uh, they both went and bought minis. Yeah, and they came into work and said, "Enough of this! You're being a miserable <laughs> bastard. You need to race again. Go and buy one of these." And I had a look and I went, "This looks like fun. These were Mo ones." Yep. And the MO1, MO2. So I went, I was, I was pretty, I'd sort of got myself together enough by then. And we got them and I went, oh, this is fun. These are really, really fun. <laughs> they're just, they're just awful. <laughs> and just, all of this slop engineered into them. That's we, right. We went through the, we went through the stage of trying to take the slop out and discovered when you did, yeah. made the cars awful. No good. Yeah. They didn't work. They needed yeah. the slop in them. Yeah. 
Just ironically, just let, let the, car the Corelli Pro goes. 10 car that I mentioned earlier was like that. It had swap engineered into okay. it, and if I took it out, it was a, a dog. Yeah. So I remembered that from that. So we started playing with minis then, and it was um, it was really good, and it started to take off slowly over over the years. Hmm. We just kept consistently doing it. More and more people doing it. Then uh, the MR3 came out, and that changed everything because it was yeah. like it was a benchmark and immediately the MO1s and MO2s got uh, put in the bin and I wish I'd kept them now because it'd be <laughs> nice to have them. But yeah. Uh, yeah. And that was really good. And we were, Tim and I and Tony Pereira were going um, over to the Baronia club every Wednesday night for their nighttime meeting. I could race at night by then because I'd, uh, while I was still working at Ford, I'd moved from Geelong an hour yeah. away yeah. down i'd move to the main thing at broad meadows which most yeah. people would know yeah. so we'd get tim and i'd leave work and we'd drive straight over to baronia and we'd meet tony there and we'd race until about 10 30 at night <laughs> we'd race minis every wednesday night nice. and because the baronia club had a system where your entry into the heat was worked out depending on how many points you had in the club championship we'd always end up last because we weren't club members. <laughs> so we'd have to fight our way through <laughs> in all the heats to get into the A final, which invariably one of us would win. Yeah. Uh, but next week we'd go back and we'd be last. But we okay. were racing every week then. But yeah. Mini was simpler then because the only tyres you could get were HPI X patterns. Yep. yep. And they were great because mm. they used to squeal and squeak and everything and they used to quite yeah. enjoy that. So um, that was really, really good. And we got... We were getting constantly asked, oh, what's your setup? What do you do this? What do you do this? And I said, we need to do a website. So we can just say, here, just go to, the, go to this address. All the info's Here's there. Here's the info. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I will admit that possibly Ford Motor Company um, paid for a lot of the time. <laughs> uh, because Tim and I started at six in the morning, there weren't a whole lot of yeah. people around. So uh, a lot of the initial setup was done then. Tony yep. Pereira was the one that knew, he was a computer man. He knew, he understood how all the websites and everything worked. Yeah. I knew the, um, the journalistic side of writing it. And uh, obviously because I'm a designer, I, I knew how to make it look nice and everything. And yeah. Yeah. Tim just basically talked crap, but <laughs> he, it added an element. And that, that's what made RC mini Yeah. over the years. People realize while we, gave people some serious and important stuff. We gave them the mail on what, what to do and what not to do. We never took ourselves too seriously. No, that was always evident. Uh, yeah. And, and in fact, I, I mean, I like as an outsider, I, I guess my observation would be that, that your, your own, the approach that you guys took to your racing and to racing minis really infected mini racing all over the country. So everywhere, almost everywhere that you went where there was mini racing, that same attitude of, you know, fun, lighthearted, enjoyable. Yeah, some serious racing, but, um, you know, that your attitude actually pervaded the class as a class. Uh, Not just over here, all over the world. When yeah. we, I couldn't, uh, I, we, we closed the website down five years ago and it, everything was dormant for a couple of years. We still kept racing, but I just didn't want to, go on with that and then we started back up again but we did it as a as a facebook page yeah which i closed down last year and we had five thousand members (laughs) (laughs) Um, i I didn't realize until i went to close it down and 
the, the amount of uh, emails and messages and stuff I got from people. No, no, no. And I, <laughs> I'm still friends with a lot of people from all over the world. In fact, I'm going to shout out now to my good mate, Jim Evans in Canada, yep. who um, un- has the uh, unfortunate uh, distinction of being one of the ones that got sucked in by Tim's notorious April Fool's article. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote a story that was full of um, techno jargon and vaguely plausible things. To do. He put it down as mini secrets. This Because at the time, no one could beat Tim. It was miles out in front. So he wrote this article and he gave it to me. I went, oh, God, I don't know whether I can put this in. Because <laughs> I knew what would happen. And it was full of things like this was the time, uh, you'll remember, when the, the Diet Coke and Mentos thing yeah. started. Yeah. So Tim suggested, and he put photos in there, as a, look, what you need is the nucleation effect of something that uh, that's created. <laughs> so you need to get four Mentos and stick them inside your, your sport tune motor and then dip it into diet Coke. <laughs> uh, he did that. He suggested that's brilliant. Uh, the big touring car thing at the time was cutting every second tooth off your belt. Yes. He suggested to do that with your internal gears <laughs> and your MO3. And he, <laughs> we had the photos to back it up there. And after two days, I had to put a disclaimer up saying, people, don't do any of this. <laughs> it's, it's an April it's Fool's first of article. April, folks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he suggested that you quench harden your springs to make them harder. And he, showed, he, <laughs> he heated them up with, a, with an oxy torch and then quenched them in oil and said it'll make them much different than the Tamiya purple. And it was that a notorious brilliant. article. And it, I actually put it up on my own personal Facebook page again last night. Yeah. Just to remind a few people and the, it's gone down yeah. in history, that one. And the, yeah, yeah. it was, it was good. And I think that was our approach to everything. We just, we were more interested in just having fun. Yeah. And we, we wrote the stories and we told you how to set your car up. Okay. This is what you need to do. But more importantly, we encourage people, look, don't, don't stress about this. It's a mini. Every single one is different. They all behave slightly differently. Just don't m- spend hours and hours mucking around with your suspension like you're going to do on your T4. That won't work with a mini. Just get a baseline set up and then just work with that. It was Just drive the thing. No one believed that we did that, but that's yeah. what we did because we were too lazy. We didn't want to have to do any extra work. <laughs> we just wanted to sit around in between heats and... Although there wasn't a tor- there was a terrible time, and uh, I'm sure Aaron Defina will be listening to this, and he'll uh, he'll know what it was like. HPI stopped producing the X patterns, and the only tyres you could get were the Tamiya Type B and Type A slicks, and they were just awful. They didn't work. So for probably six months, we were buying takeoff twenty sevens, and sectioning them and gluing them back together oh. to put on the minis, <laughs> and and we were all doing it, but some people were shit at it or they said they were shit at it so they'd get me to do it because I was really good at it <laughs> until I realised, you guys are just lazy. <laughs> You're just getting me to do it. And it, it was horrendous and it was entirely the wrong direction and we really got that wrong. Then one day at, at racing at Temple, so I said to the guys, this is it. I'm not doing this anymore. We need to stop this. We need to go in a different direction. And luckily by then some other tyres had come out now, although... That's half the problem now. There are so many tyres. Yeah. 
Yeah. And minis are, are so critical. We'd always say to people, you want to get your mini to work, nail the rear down first. Yeah. Get something that's going to work at the rear and then work on the front. That was always the way we did it. And we used to have a, a benchmark tire usually for, that would work at most tracks. And we just run that. We rarely ever changed that. And uh, I've tried so many times to try to tell Calvin Holmes that, but Calvin, you didn't listen. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're naming some names. I, um, I, I, I am. Mini wasn't a big thing for me. I did race one. Uh, I raced Mini once at a Tasmanian Championships in, yeah. I don't know, about maybe 2012 or something like that, 2011, 2012. And, and yeah. Tim and Brad Portelli came down. Yeah, for the event, and there's a couple of fast guys in in Tassie at the time, and we raced, and I, I mean I raced touring cars as well that weekend, but yeah, that that mini race meeting, you know, remains for me one of my favourite RC experiences. We spent mm. two days, you know, certainly with Brad and I, I felt like we were never more than yeah. about a foot apart for for two whole days. Yeah. It was just phenomenal and really good fun, and you know that uh, it was it was a really good experience, and it wasn't even my mini, and people would. You know, be saying to me, "What's the setup?" And I'm going, oh, "I have no idea." Like it's no just idea. <laughs> just yeah, you, you don't need to. That, that's that's the way you should look at it. You should go out there and just drive the ring on it. And if you're keeping up with Brad, you're doing pretty good because it was you know, pretty good. Brad certainly was the benchmark, and for a quite a few years, Tim could stay with him occasionally. But you know, yeah. the few yeah. years younger made a big difference. I, I will uh, I will let the ego be unchecked there for a minute and say that I did win that Tassie Championships against those two boys and knowing knowing how good they were in the minis made that uh, that win. I had the advantage of knowing the track, of course, uh, but yeah. uh, gee, that was good fun and it was really nice to send the Victorians home uh, with a second and third place trophy as well. I um I do remember having to deal with the deflated egos of Mr. Portelli <laughs> and Mr. Keeler when you um. Uh, when gee, it was really good fun. That. No, it was, it was. But yeah, Tim not, doesn't mind. He was. He's happy. With no, no. Yeah, I got done. No, it was. We were all having a great time, and the carry on on the driver's stand was uh, was something to behold. We uh, even did um, uh, off road mini a couple of times. Uh, I remember seeing a photo. Two thousand seven. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, with um, it, we figured the Mo threes were pretty much indestructible, and they yeah. were. Yeah. And they were. We were taking the big jumps at Knox, uh, flat out, and. The cars were fine. It was just astonishing how how good they were. It was really, really fun. A little off road mini racing, fantastic. Yeah, they, uh, they, yeah. They yeah. they don't jump all that well because they're a bit front heavy. But no. we learned to to deal with that. Yeah, I will say one certainly one thing about mini before we probably finish on that was mm. the the thing that really changed mini was introducing the Australia wide rules in two thousand and eight. Yeah. yeah. Um, bringing everything together so we were all on the same page. And that was yeah. um, that was me, uh, Greg Fisher, and yeah. uh, uh, Trevor Johnson, mainly. Yes. Yeah. We, all the, the, we all put things backwards and back and forth and trying to come up with something. And then moving away from the Tamiya Sport Tunes because the, yeah. the quality was becoming really inconsistent and going to yeah. the, the Hobby Wing Blue brushless system, which was just... Yeah, that just brushless <laughs> system. Yeah. Oh, because I've still got some from then that still work. Yeah, they just and it, as a class, it got it got to the point of being you know a sanctioned class at, at national titles and things, didn't it? In that yeah. in that period, it was um, it it became quite a like as you say that that national rules widespread 
the yeah. process system, you know, and it became a class that was. Yeah, um, I actually yeah. fought against it becoming a national sanctioned class. Yeah. I, I didn't want it. I thought, nah, that's not how I want it to be. Yeah. Uh, just a grassroots. It's just, yeah, I wanted it just to, to stay not so serious. Yeah. Uh, and everyone was, oh, I thought you'd want it. No, I don't. I don't yeah, think yeah. it's a good idea. And in the end, I don't think it was. I don't really think it, it helped. Yeah. Did make it a little bit too serious. Yeah, yeah. And that's when we had to start bringing um, uh, limits on the motors. So we had to set a testing limit so that we yeah. Tim had to Tim <laughs> bought a, a, a tester and we had to work it out. And, and then people worked out that if you pulled the rotor out and you changed the the amount of washers on either end, it made a difference. And you're like, oh no! Yeah. It's all fun and games until the racers get involved, right? And then it just becomes yeah. Uh, and the conversation I had with Chris Marshall last week about, you know, races will always look for what can I yeah. do within just by stretching the rules enough to kind of find a performance edge. And, yeah. yeah. And yeah. that was unfortunate. But, and nowadays, you know, mini's really fallen off now to the, yeah. uh, and but that's okay. I'm, yeah. I've, I've had, look, I've had, I've had since 1996 run and mini and I still do run. Uh, occasionally, if there's a big event and they've got mini, we'll run it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nice. But I don't want to push it anymore. That's why we closed RC Mini uh, yeah. last year. I thought, we've done it all. There's nothing more we can do. We've made it. And I'm, I put on our epitaph look, as long as we've made some people laugh. <laughs> uh, I, I think uh, that's a guarantee. Yeah. That's that's really all I, I wanted out of it. And, uh, yeah. It's, I d even discussed with Tony Pereira today. Oh, there's a few things happening in Mini. No, we could we could bring it out of issue. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's done. It's finished. Um, yeah. On, on the way through there, Tony, you, you mentioned in passing, you know, that, that little conversation about um, national sanctioning, which just reminds me to ask you about um, the kind of, you know, the associations, the rules, the sanctioning bodies, and the story of uh, the formation of Vortec, um, yes. the Victorian on-road um, clubs kind of association that. Yes. You know, Victoria and I guess Queensland to a slightly lesser degree have always had a bit of an arm's length relationship with the national bodies. Sorry, back in those days. Yeah. What's what's the Vortex story? I think Vortec, you were you were involved in that. I was the man that started it, which is why oh, so it's your fault. Me. It's hundred okay. percent my <laughs> fault. It was I initiated it anyway. It wasn't it was uh, I was asking Nigel George the other day when we started his memories as bad as mine so we th we're thinking it's around 2001 yeah but it was myself and i got i called nigel and andrew tazare from the baronia club where we used to go on wednesday nights and said we've got a problem here in that the um if mar slash arc mark rules don't reflect what people are racing yeah because it was still more like uh, pan car rules back then. So there, there wasn't much provision for ISTC and that sort of thing. So we had that issue. Plus we also had every club in Victoria was running slightly different rules. And that was the main reason why I did this. Yeah. Not to go against uh, Arkmark at all. It yeah. was purely to try and bring all the Victorian clubs together. And, and we had a meeting, uh, at a pub, not surprisingly. Uh, <laughs> uh, Where many ground. of the best meetings happen. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I, I don't drink, so it's not a lot of fun for me. <laughs> I uh, don't drink either, but I think it is a lot of fun to watch what happens when other people do. Oh, uh, oh it is indeed. And yeah. when I got all the guys together, and we called in, uh, obviously, some of the far away clubs couldn't come. But at the first yeah. meeting, we had most of the clubs there. And I just said to them, guys, I want to be able to go, we'll go from one club to the next and have the same rules. Yeah. At the moment, we don't have that. And it, this is irregardless of what happens at a, um, at a sanctioned meeting. But in a normal club meeting, I want us all to have the same rules. And astonishingly, they listened to me, which I didn't think would happen. <laughs> and that night, we nutted out most of it. And that's where it went from then. It was just, it was simple things, but it meant that within a couple of months, all the Victorian clubs had the same rules. Yeah. When it came to sanctioned events, we still ran all the art marks classes and everything yep. they were always offered but a lot of the time the people didn't want to run them they just wanted to yep. run what, what we had yep. so it was i think to some extent i was misunderstood with my intent behind that it was purely just to drag all all yep. the victorian clubs together and we ran like that for probably 10 years yeah it was quite a while wasn't it that, that, yeah because uh, there was, the was no reason to, to, to stop it we'd have yep. regular meetings and the only significant time was when we had to deal with, oh, okay, uh, brushless motors. Yeah, yeah. And we had to try and work out what uh, what to do. Then luckily, um, again, Tony Pereira was a guru there and he was able to do a lot of testing and stuff. And we, we, we actually did test a lot of things to try and come up with equivalent classes to what we were doing in brushes, yeah. in brushed motors, to try and get it as close as possible. So we... We actually put a lot of work into to do that, uh, hmm. and it worked really, really well for that for that ten years. And by after that, uh, the arc mark rules had sort of moved to more what we were doing anyway, so there wasn't yeah. really any need for it. Yeah. So, I, I, while a lot of people hated me at the time, and probably for good reason. In fact, Nigel George said, said Nigel George said that he had an animated discussion with you at one stage. <laughs> Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Okay. Uh, but I wonder where that was. Uh, you came down here for something. I came. I came over to a Vic titles at Templestowe. Yeah, it might have been when I was in Tassie. So that's around two thousand nine. Um, yeah, that might be. Yeah, and well, I think so. So my recollection or my reflection on that era was that there was that the real sticking point was how we transitioned from brush to brushless in the spec classes. You know, yeah. So. You know, Vortec was trying to work that out. Archimac yeah. were doing something different. And Queensland was doing something different again. Uh, I was in Tassie and we were doing our own things. And so there was there was a period of a few years where there was, you know, as you guys had learned the value of doing, you know, having that consistency across Victoria, there just was no consistency across the country. And it really, yeah. my recollection is that it wasn't until we could land on some spec classes that would work you know, for everyone that, that we've managed to kind of unify the country around a set of rules again. Uh, that that said, I think the same thing happened worldwide. Yeah. It, oh, it was a difficult was transition. No, yeah. I mean, I'm reminding people now that 21.5 is the equivalent of the old 540. Yeah. Well, it's not. I no, mean, it's probably anymore. two laps quicker. Yeah. Not even close. Yeah. But, you know, it's the closest thing we've got. Probably 25.5 would probably yeah. be closer to the, but, you know. That's right. I, I drive a 21.5 car now. I, think, oh, I feel like going to sleep. It feels so slow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'm still no good, but <laughs> it just feels slow. <laughs> I think that's half the problem with driving the minis for so many years that the Hollywood thing had so much torque. Yeah, yeah. That they felt quicker than what they actually were. Uh, Tony, we, you and I are in danger of talking the night away here. I'm just looking at uh, yeah. my clock and going, we need to probably start to kind of wrap this bad boy up or uh, we'll have lost most of our listeners. Um, I just no, kind of, no they know, all any... went about an hour ago. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It's just you and me. Uh, yeah. Maybe Tony's, maybe Tony's hung in. Um, yeah. Just, I guess, just a you know an opportunity to reflect on kind of any other other you know people or um, kind of you know really significant things uh, along the way that we've not had a chance to touch on. Um, the only other thing up. that uh, that was been important for me over the years has obviously been um, been the car paint. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. something that that's something that I've always been interested in. My very yeah. first hot shot was airbrushed. You couldn't get airbrushed paint then. Wow! But uh, I was I used something else because I thought, no, I can airbrush this because I'd done. Yeah. I was around in the days of the hot panel vans with murals yeah, okay. and stuff, and yeah. I used to do quite a few of them. So okay, that's been a large part of thing for me over the years. I've enjoyed doing that less so now because I'm just too lazy and old but it's good to see the guys like james ainsley and that carrying yeah. on there's some phenomenal uh, painters around the country aren't there there's some great stuff i helped james out yeah. a little bit when he first started and uh, he's done some really he, there was it was really good for me when he, he got dual concourse trophies off-road worlds a couple of years back and he's yeah. never let me forget it because i've only <laughs> ever got one world's concourse <laughs> <laughs> which worlds was and, that uh, 2008, uh, 10 scale nitro worlds in Portugal. Okay. I uh, did a car for Peter Jovanovic. I did yeah. quite a few cars for the Jovanovics over the years because yeah. they were quite happy to let me do whatever I wanted. Uh, yeah, yeah. After that, I stopped doing it because I, I used to uh, paint cars for Ashley Peeler because he'd go to the 10 scale off road worlds all the time. And every time yes. he went, I'd um, paint a car for him. and I think one year in Japan, the concourse was judged by the daughter of the woman who ran the uh, hot dog stand. <laughs> and that was when I said, ah, I'm not doing any more of this. <laughs> because I thought, if I'm going to spend 40 or 50 hours painting something, yeah, yeah, I want there to be a degree of respect paid to it. Yeah, yeah. To who's I, I accept that a lot of people don't give a shit about it, but yeah. I do. Yeah, I'm a designer. What do you expect? Yeah, so I mean, I guess the question I have around that is not so much a technique question, but where does where does the inspiration come from? You know, what's the where does the kind of artistic what's the artistic side of you, and where does that inspiration for a, for a scheme and what'll look good oh, come these from? These days, I'll, I'll I'll pinch it off with something that James has done. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I I don't have any trouble with that. It usually yeah. I'll look at it and I'll get, I'll know straight away what. I'm going to do usually. So I, normally when we wrap these things up, I talk with people about favourite race cars and race tracks over the years. I mean, you've raced so many cars on so many race tracks. Um, I'm going, all right, the favourite car, and this is Scotty Pettit will get all excited now. It's <laughs> my Mardave Cobra. So just, so, all right, so just, Tell me a little bit about that car because there's probably a bunch of people who, who don't know the story of the Mardo car. They've actually just, they're just about to be re-released. They're going to do a re-re of it. Yes. Okay. Uh, I liked it because the car was like the simplest thing in the known universe. They it were. used It used self-tapping screws to hold it together. Yeah. But it was, 
particularly in Scotty's hand, the thing was an absolute yeah. weapon. Um, uh, I'll name drop again here. Andrew Giddings is going to laugh because the, the hinge pins <laughs> used to used to bend. The, the factory ones were crap. I didn't use titanium. Uh, <clears throat> I went down to, would have been mitre 10 then because there was no Bunnings and I found a flathead nail that was the right size. <laughs> so I just used, keep the flathead on and just cut the end of it off and yep. we'd use them and they were just... fine. They were absolutely <laughs> fine. But they, they had an alloy chassis, which was um, yeah. yellow for the cheap version, blue for the, yeah. and powder coated. And I used to get them, um, get the powder coated taken off and get them polished. And they looked awesome. <laughs> it was so cool. Yeah, they, they, were, they were an interesting car. Weren't they? We had one in our family for a little while and I do remember running into Scotty when he was, did he put one in a national A final or something? He did uh, indeed. Running a 10 triple. Yeah. Was that Canberra maybe? About. I can't remember where it was. No, but... no, it was Keeler. Oh, Keeler, 94. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he was a gun. I yeah. just, I oh. saw his name in some race results on the weekend. He's still running around at the front of the field in Sydney and I think yeah. running stock these days, but uh, yes, we'll, we'll shout out. Cheers all... to you, Scotty. Uh, one yeah. Of the good uh, guys. We'll... Well, I was obviously talking to him earlier in the week when the Cobra yeah. re-release was announced. He was the first person I contacted. <laughs> Scotty, it's coming out again. <laughs> so that was probably my favourite car just because of that, because it was so stupidly cheap, yeah. but it just worked. I think the geometry was basically just copied straight off of B2. Yeah. So it was you know, not a bad thing to copy off. Yeah. So, Beautiful. Uh, That's not an answer I expected. I like it. I know oh, that. Yeah, that's uh, uh, my favourite track is the Wodonga on-road track, which doesn't okay. really get used very much nowadays, unfortunately. But yeah, it's um, I just really liked it for some. It just had a nice flow, and I'm sure you know what I mean. That some tracks you yeah. just like, and yeah. it never did work. any good. But yeah. I didn't care. It was I just liked that track. It was really, really good. So, yeah. and did you guys host? Answer. Did you did you host a mini nuts at Wodonga? We, uh, yeah, um, we had a. I think the our first mini nats was the very very first mini nats. Uh, Greg Fisher did a sort of mini nats in Sydney, okay, uh, which Tim I think Tony went to. Yeah, we hailed in two thousand six, not sixteen. Uh, we did we did a thing called Mini Fifty at some stage, and I can't remember what date what date that was. It might have been yeah. two thousand and ten. Yeah. And then after that, we said, well, we should do this on a yearly basis, and we'll do something called Mini nats. And yeah, okay. Wodonga was the first one. And I should um, name check Greg Fisher again on that because he helped us out a lot with that. Yeah, yeah. In getting tyres and stuff and everything to make sure. I think we did that one with controlled tyres and it was it was really good. He great did have a great he track. Did, he did have a handle in in uh, hand in the mini racing uh, around that era. That's for sure, Greg. He did indeed. Uh, in fact, yeah. it was his suggestion the, to move with the hobby wing motors, okay. like the hobby wing combos. It was yeah. Greg's yeah. suggestion. Yeah. And when I tried one, I went, "Oh yeah." <laughs> These are good. This, this will do the job. Yeah. Uh, All right. Tony Gray, uh, elder statesman, good times. We've peeked inside the the inner workings of the RC media industry, the origins of RC Mini, Vortec, Velodrome Racing, uh, the birth of the Keylor Club right back in 1985. It's been an absolute delight uh, to chat, and I and I know there's a thousand stories we've missed along the way. Uh, but you can put those in your book uh, later uh, on. Yeah. Uh, Tony, thanks uh, heaps for the chat today. No worries. My, it, absolute pleasure. 
Thank you very much. And hopefully there's more than two people still listening and not just Tim <laughs> and Tony Pereira. I reckon, I reckon Lou Sola's still with us as well. Oh, Sola yeah. will be, yeah. Thanks, Tony. Indeed. Thank you.